Oil prices just can't make up their mind on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. We have a special treat for our listeners as the prodigious Matt Delala was joining us on air. How's it going, Matt? Doing really well. How are you doing, Sean? Not too bad. How's uh, life down there in Charleston, South Carolina? Life is great in Charleston. Always sunny, always nice. Awesome. So uh, first up, uh, diving right in here, we're anxious to get your thoughts on the uh, the roller coaster, and I might be a little conservative there in calling it a roller coaster, um, that has been crude oil prices. Um, so to start, can you just kind of recap what's been going on over the last 12 months? You know, crude oil has just been going bonkers this year. It um, fell off the table last year when uh, OPEC decided they weren't going to cut production, and it has just fallen and fallen and fallen until I think it hit like around $40 a barrel earlier this year. Then it bounced for a while, and um, then it is recorrected over the summer, and um, it hit a six and a half year low uh, a couple of weeks ago, about thirty eight bucks a barrel. However, it just then went ballistic and rallied twenty seven and a half percent, more than ten dollars a barrel, through um, the end of August. It just caught everybody off guard, and um, it actually ended the month up four and a half percent, which is the first time in a long time. Um, but it's continued to be volatile lately. Um, some days it goes up. Venezuela was begging OPEC for an emergency meeting that skyrocketed oil. U.S. production is starting to decline. That helped oil prices go up. That was the interesting. That was the the U.S. production decline was the interesting uh, thing that I noted because um, obviously Venezuela is begging for this, that, and the other thing. But uh, finally, we're getting some kind of production decline. So yeah, yeah, that's what the market has been really looking for. Uh, it, it just takes a while for all of the wells that kind of flow through because companies had, you know, a budget plan last year and um, they were drilling and drilling and drilling. And now they, they've kind of finished a lot of their contracts for drilling rigs and those rigs are, are stopping. And um, oil production just really falls off because of shale wells are just such, um, have such large decline rates. And we're starting to see that and it can really accelerate later this year. And that's kind of what the market has been waiting for. Once U.S. oil starts to, to roll over, um, then oil prices should pick up because it'll help supply and demand better balance. Right. So uh, the as I understand it, the average shale well, I mean, it has like a, a decline, right? I mean, it starts to decline after, I don't know, six months or something. Um, you know, given the rig count drop, why didn't the market have any faith that the the production would actually decline? Because it seems to me like one plus one equals two. And they it, it was like the market didn't trust that oil production would decline despite the, the cuts in CapEx and the, uh, the decrease in the rig counts. Yeah, well, a lot of it had to do with shale drillers had gotten so efficient that a lot of them were still projecting growth, year-over-year growth. And what it was almost like, um, it's kind of like the hump day for America. Oil production hit its plateau um, through, uh, let's say, March and April. It just kept accelerating because they were still drilling and completing all these wells, and now it's finally um you know, falling over, and the market just wasn't sure if oil prices would stay high enough that um, drillers continue to drill more wells. And they've been so resilient that that's played into some of the the problems with crude oil. Is they're just getting being able to drill more wells with less money, and that has really surprised the market. And part of the reason why crude has just been so wild this year yeah and the other the of course the other problem of course has been uh china and the growth concerns over there 
Um, yeah. So real quick, just you know, with oil prices this low, we've been told that production would fall. That's starting now. Um, but the other thing we've been told is that bankruptcies have started to become prevalent. There have been a few, but in your opinion, is this 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 has this proven true at all? Not yet. And uh, one of the things that really helped oil companies was the spike in oil um, back earlier this year. A lot of them raised capital. They went to the debt markets and they they got so when, um, when oil equity. popped up to sixty in the spring yeah. and we had that fifty percent rally. They all quickly raised money. Oh yeah, yeah. It was like a flood to the market. Everybody raised as much cash as they could get, um, and that has really helped a lot of the the companies to you know. There's like this thought that if we can just make it through a year or two, we'll be fine. And so that has helped a lot of them to not go bankrupt. Um, but that might not last forever. If crude does stay lower for longer, which a lot of companies, a lot of big name companies are banking on, ConocoPhillips, uh, BP, they're all saying lower for longer. And um, that could you know, lead to bankruptcies later this year. We're seeing a lot of oil companies really start to cut costs and kind of dig in for this lower for longer. ConocoPhillips, like I mentioned, they just laid off 500 people in their Houston headquarters as part of a 10% workforce reduction. Um, one of the things that they said is we don't see a lot of correction in the short term. It's really kind of changed the way we work. And a lot of companies are going with that mindset. It's like, you know what, this could be a really, really long downturn. And um, we also saw a Canadian company, uh, Penn West, they reduced their headcount by 35%. They suspended their dividend and they cut CapEx. And this is all in an effort to get their costs as low as possible so that they don't go bankrupt. Penn West is one of those that has been an issue um, there's a number of other ones. There's a uh, Sandridge Energy, Halcon Resources. These are I know Noble that, laid off people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they've they just they drilled and drilled and drilled. No matter what the cost, whatever the market would give them as far as debt, they just sopped up as much debt as they could because the returns are really really good. And they thought that oil would stay you know hundred dollars or so forever, and it hasn't proven to be the case. Um, so as I understand so, it, um, sorry to interrupt. Um, no so as I understand it, you know, since the Great Recession, um, the net job gains in pretty much every industry have been flat. But the one actual gainer has been oil and gas. Um, all the right. other ones just kind of traded people. All the other industries, right. I mean. Um, I, if what you're saying is true, it seems like uh, the, the, those days are over. <laughs> you would think that. Uh- one of the things going into the downturn is that the energy industry was actually really worried that they wouldn't have enough people. There was uh, projections by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I think it is, um, that the industry would create a million more jobs by 2020. And um, going out of the recession had a 41% increase. So really what helped America get out of the recession was this oil economic engine because for every job that an oil company um Created it would create a lot of indirect and induced jobs. Yeah, you hear these and, stories about like uh, uh, McDonald's workers in North Dakota making like fifteen an hour just because they needed McDonald's for all the oil workers right. and stuff. Yeah, and truck drivers up in North Dakota where they're you know getting six figures, and a lot of people were moving up there because that's where there are actual jobs. The problem there's two problems. One is that a lot of the um, people that work in the energy industry are older. Um, the industry hasn't been a growth industry, so they haven't been hiring a lot of young people. And they have what's called the great crew change, which is this flood of retirements that are happening now. And 
will continue to happen, and that's going to leave them without the skilled workers. There's going to be a huge gap. And what the downturn is really going to um, create is this huge gap between skilled workers and people that actually want to work in the energy, energy industry. Not only does it have the, um, the uh, you know, that it's not green and that kind of it's dirty, um, but right. it's so cyclical that um, a person coming out of college isn't going to want to work in a, an industry where they could get laid off because it goes into this crazy downturn. And that's just going to make it harder for the industry to just cope with these situations because they're going to lose a lot of good people. Got it. Okay. Well, uh, before we move on, I wanted to uh, make our listeners aware of a very special offer for all industry-focused listeners. If you found this discussion informative and you're looking for more foolish stock ideas, Stock Advisor may be the service for you. It is our flagship newsletter started more than 10 years ago by Motley Fool co-founders Tom and David Gardner. We're offering the lowest price out there for all of our industry-focused listeners. It is $129 for a two-year subscription. You'll get two stock recommendations every single month with insight from our team of analysts. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this deal. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And uh, so joining me today is Foolish contributor Matt Delalo, and I'm anxious to get his thoughts on the best plays for uh, Foolish investors given the current energy environment. Um, there's basically a lot of, uh, I don't know, what would you call it, Matt? Uh, uncertainty. Um, yeah. A lot of companies seem to be deriving a lot of their competitive advantages at this point from a low, uh, being a low-cost producer in the top geologic formations. Uh, so, Matt, for our listeners uh, you know, that may not know, what are the top uh, uh, geologic locations for uh, shale oil production, and what are your favorite companies in them? So there are three big shale plays in the United States, the Bakken up in North Dakota, the Eagleford in uh, East and South Texas, and then the Permian Basin in West Texas. And they are just these incredible um, shale oil plays. There's just so much oil packed underneath the ground that is it has revolutionized American oil production. And um, what companies, one of the worries going into the downturn is that this was really high cost production. Some thought they needed $9 a barrel just to make money. And what companies are finding through the downturn is that they can make the same returns now in about the 50 to $60 range that they were making when oil is 90 And a lot of that has to do with they just become so efficient. They can drill well super quick now. And um, they've been able to figure out ways of um, with hydraulic fracturing and putting more sand down in um, the wellbore that they can get more oil out of each well. And that's just improving returns and it's just making this a really, really good long-term um, opportunity for the companies and for investors. So back to those key plays, uh, EOG Resources is probably the best of the best if you're talking about shale. They've got um, great positions in the Bach and the Permian and the Eagle Fert. They, uh, they're actually one of the few oil companies that aren't growing production right now. They said, you know what, with the market oversaturated, we're not going to grow production. And what they've done is they've been drilling but not completing wells, which means they're not fracking as many wells. And so when oil prices start to rise, and ELG said about $65 a barrel, they're just going to turn on the spigots and uh, start growing production. So that's a great company, very well managed, one yeah. of my favorites. 
Yeah, I uh, actually wrote an article on them uh, a few months ago, and I was just curious who was the most efficient, and I quickly realized that it was EOG. They had that investor presentation where they talked about how they're making just as much money at 65 than they were in 2012 at 95. They they make yeah. their own fracking sand, as I recall, so they're vertically integrated. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. They, I quickly realized that they were the best in the business. Um, yeah, yeah. They're one of my favorites. Uh, another really strong one is Devon Energy. They've taken a little bit of an opposite approach. They're actually growing production very rapidly. It's it's something like twenty five to thirty five percent oil production growth this year because they are. So they're so the cause efficient. for the glut. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's part of the problem. Is some of these companies they they're looking at the returns and they're they're saying, you know what, that it's still pretty good, and there's no reason to cut because. In Devin's case, they have the cash, they have the cash flow, and they have no reason to slow down. And what they've actually been able to do is they've set a budget, uh, and then they've become so efficient that they're just chopping their budget and still getting the same growth. Um, so they're a really good player. And then um, and they're in the Permian and the Eagleford. And then if you just want to look at the Permian, which is just this massive, massive oil play that we've had for, I think, since the 1920s, um, Pioneer Natural Resources is... Uh, huge. I think they say they can pull out like 22 billion barrels of oil equivalent. Whoa. And for perspective, yeah. all of America's crude resources is something like 30 or 40 billion. So, so that in, the, um, there's so you, much potential there. You said oil equivalent, so that of course includes natural gas? Right. Natural gas and uh, natural gas liquids. Um, it's probably, I think the Permian is like 65% oil, so we're still talking a lot of oil. Oh yeah, for sure. There. Um, yeah. So, which of these three companies, um, you know, which of these are most attractive to you right now? Because uh, from what I can glean, you know, some companies like uh, they've just been decimated; their share prices are down ninety percent. The market's aware that these guys are really, really good at what they do, and they still seem to have—they've uh, fallen a lot, but it hasn't been nearly mm-hmm. as bad. Um, which one do you like the best? You know, uh, I like EOG a lot. However. We talk about stocks that have fallen. Devon Energy, the last time I looked, they were down 50%. Um, and I can't remember if that's off their 52-week high or, or what, mm-hmm. but they've been really blasted, and there's no reason for it. They are operating so well, and they're so efficient. They have such a good balance sheet. I just think that when oil prices turn, that one can really, really do well. Very good. Well, thanks for your thoughts, Matt. Have a good one. You too. Looking forward to uh, talking with you again soon. And if uh, you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Matt DeLalo, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on! 